Okay, let's pray together. Lord, thank you for you. Thank you for the joy in this room. Thank you, uh, Father, for um, what you're doing in our lives individually and in the life of this church. Uh, Lord, uh, we are so blessed. And so, Father, once again now as we uh, shift gears and open your word, uh, we need you. We need you. Father, we, we spent quite quite a number of weeks and months looking at the Lord's Prayer, and it was really a prayer of dependence. So, Father, your kingdom come, your will be done now. Here. So we open your scriptures, we recognize our absolute dependence on the Holy Spirit to not just teach us, to bring, and then to bring the application. Speak to our hearts. You know, every person here, there's no one here that's here by accident. So, Father, we love you. We love your word. We open ourselves. We submit to your will being done. And uh, just so grateful, so thankful in this season of Thanksgiving. Just thankful for another day of life. Thankful for who we are in Christ. Thankful that as your children, as we sit here, our names are written in the book of life. As we sit here. And you are pleased with us positionally. So, so Father, thank you for all these incredible truths. And, and now do what only you can do as we open your word. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. All God's people said? Yeah. Amen. Last week, we, uh, we left with a challenge, and it was based on this word called doxology. Everyone say doxology. doxology. Right? Doxology is a word, uh, really two parts. Dox means glory, right? And logos in the Greek means saying. So a doxology is a glory saying. You know, there's a song called the doxology. So a doxology is something that brings praise, that brings glory to God, right? And we left last Sunday asking ourselves, really challenged, to be living doxologies. To be living doxologies. Because once you understand that we are called to be living doxologies, suddenly there's purpose, suddenly there's meaning, suddenly there's a unified reason for everything you do in your life. It all makes sense. There's like this sense of purpose. Like, oh, you mean it's not just making it through another day. Oh, it's not just paying the bills. Oh, it's not just getting the kids to school. Oh, it's not just, it's not just, it's not just, you know, scratching off or checking off the honeydew list day in and day out, week in and week out, year in and year. No, there's a purpose for you and for me, right? Psalm 115.1 says this, Not to us, O Lord, not to us. But to your name goes all the glory for your unfailing love and faithfulness. I love that, right? Not to us, not to me, not my title, not my house, not my salary, not my car, not to us at the church, not the well, not because we have this facility, not because this many people come, not to us, but to you. Amen? What a great way to live. Because that's so countercultural, right? Everyone wants to be countercultural. Let's be a rebel. Let's be countercultural. Let's be countercultural. The problem with being countercultural is what? Then it becomes trendy to be countercultural. And so now it's trendy and everyone's countercultural, right? If you want to be really countercultural in a selfie driven culture, live the glory of God. You'll be swimming upstream like that. You'll stand out like a sore thumb. Right? Everyone is on Instagram and Facebook and TikTok and all that kind of stuff now. And it's all about me, 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 likes, followers, da, 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 right? 
Live for the glory of God. And you might just be wondering, oh, but you have this deep joy even. You have this deep joy, right? Because you're part of something bigger than you. Bigger than you. Matthew 5, 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to who? Your Father. Your Father. You've been gifted. You've been blessed. Use it to the fullest extent. Use it to the fullest extent. If you're an athlete, be the best athlete. If you're a musician, be the best musician. If you're an attorney, be the best attorney. Be the best anything that God has gifted you to be. Amen? See, a lot of times, sometimes Christianity, you know, oh, Christians, and I'm just going to love God, and I don't really need to do school, and I'm just going to get by at work. And No, God needs the best everything everywhere in this culture. Be the best dishwasher. Amen? You can wash dishes as unto the Lord. Right? 1 Corinthians 10.31 Whatever you do, do all of the glory of God. Right? Everything. Be the best. Strive for excellence. Because it's not about you. See, if it's about you, then you can settle. If it's about me, then I'm going to call it good at about 6. 6 out of 10. I call it good because seven, eight, nine, ten—that's a lot of work. But when it's for the glory of God, it's like ten, ten. It's like I'm all in all the time because it's not about me and where I land comfort, comfort level. You know what I mean? First Peter two nine: You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession. Amen. How many of you like that? Okay. Now, again, we covered this last week. If you are comfortable writing in your Bibles, underlining, you need to circle or underline that word that. That is a term of purpose, right? So we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation of people for his own possession. Not so that we become a holy huddle. Not so that we just pat, pat each other on the back every Sunday and go, oh, it's so wonderful what we have. Woo-hoo, good us, you know. No. That word, that, there's a purpose. We have been blessed with all of that so that we may proclaim the excellencies of, who, of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous. Amen? There's a purpose. There's a purpose that you've been given all this that you've been given, that we've been given all this we've been given. It's so that. It's not about us. It's not about gorging ourselves like at Thanksgiving and eating and eating and getting and getting and getting until we're just like spiritually fat and obese. That's not what we're about. There's a higher purpose to everything. Verse 12 says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Wow, I wonder about how that would apply at work. If I were to show up at your work, and say, hey, uh, tell, me about, uh, tell me about Martin. Tell me about Randy. Right? What would the non-believers say about your good deeds? Well, hopefully they would be good deeds. <laughs> right? But what would they say about your work ethic? What would they say about your integrity? What would they say about your, your joy? Would it bring glory to God? Right? And then the crazy thing is you can do this as a church. I love Romans 15. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another. This is Paul talking to the church, the Christians at Rome. 
in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wouldn't that be such a great testimony of the well? That together we're here to glorify God. That's what I hope and pray, is that in and through whatever God chooses to do, in and through this church family, that people talk about God. Man, God's moving. Did you see what God did? All those kids, God blessed all those kids at Kaya. God, 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 God. I hope that when people, when people would speak about what's happening here, that the actual name well is way down here. And it's all about God, 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 God. Amen? That's what we're supposed to be about. That's what we're supposed to be about, right? It's not about getting more people here. It's about glorifying God more, right? So here's a question. Here's a question. What are you really living for? It's crucial to realize that you either glorify God or you glorify something or someone else. You're always making something look big. So just just a moment here. Think about the last six days since we've been together. What was big in your life this week? What were you, you know, were you glorifying God this week? Was he big? Was he the big purpose? Was he the big reason? Was he, was he the, the unifying current for everything you did this week? What was big in your life this week? Right? And, and I say that not, not to you know, turn the screws on us, but just it's a, it's a great check. It's a great check daily. Right? Before you go to sleep tonight, when you put your head on your pillow, say, Father, did I make you big today? Were you big today in my life, Father? And I'm not talking going do any like crazy big things. I'm just talking about how you just carried yourself. The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. If you walk in the Spirit today, you're making God big today. It's, that, it's just walking in the Spirit. Right? And if he calls you to do some service project or do something, great, do that. But at its core, bear fruit and make God big. Because the fruit we bear is spiritual fruit. So if you bear spiritual fruit, if I bear spiritual fruit, who gets the glory for the spiritual fruit? The Spirit, right? God, through the Spirit, not me. Make him big, right? John fifteen eight. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Bear much fruit, right? Billy Graham says, we glorify God by living lives that honor him. Now, I shared with you last Sunday, you have to be real careful with this, because sometimes somewhere in the church and how you were raised, maybe how I was raised, we sort of equated glorifying God, making God big, Mostly by a bunch of don'ts. Right? Hey, did you glorify God? Yeah. Well, what'd you, what'd you not do? Well, tell me, how did you glorify God? Well, I didn't do this, and 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 I didn't go there, and I didn't, and I didn't, and I didn't, and I didn't, and I didn't. See how I glorify God? By all my didn'ts. See? 
if you're not careful, that's kind of either what you pick up or if you're not careful, even as a parent, that's what you give to your kids. We glorify God in this house, house by all the things we don't do. Yeah, but you've got to balance that out. You've got to balance that out. Right? It's the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That would draw people to Jesus. Right? So you've got to balance it out. Sure, there's things we don't do. I get that, right? Flee, right? Timothy tells us to flee youthful lust, all this kind of stuff. There's certain things we don't do. But if you're missing all the to-dos, all the good stuff that we're privileged to do, you're missing it. And then you wonder why your Christianity has no life, has no joy, is just obligation. Well, it's because you woke up this morning and you said, Oh, okay, Father, help me not to mess up. Because I got this list of don'ts. And I just got to make it to the end of the day. And by golly, there's a bunch of... It's a minefield. Don't step there. Don't step there. And you're, you're exhausted at night. You know why you're exhausted? Because you're just don'ting all day. <laughs> and you get to the bed. I mean... I get it. Okay. Kinda. But here's the thing. If you fall madly in love with Jesus... You're going to not want to do those don'ts. Amen? They just kind of go away. You don't have to hammer the don'ts. Because I don't want to. How many of you, and, and I'll be honest, like in college, you know, party scene, I was at UCLA, wasn't saved, the dorm parties, all that kind of stuff, right? I get that. Come to know the Lord. I just don't want to. You know, I just don't want that life. I, I know what it is. I don't need to get in an altered state to experience joy and fellowship anymore. Amen? I don't need liquid courage. I don't need all that stuff. I don't need to get buzzed. Dude, get buzzed and then you really have a good time. You just got to get a little buzz. I don't need to get buzzed. This to me is joy right here. I don't need that stuff. Right? But it wasn't because my brothers in Christ sat me down when I became a believer and said, okay, bro, here's all the don'ts. And if you do one of these don'ts, pah! You know, I mean, they didn't do that to me. They didn't try to scare the don't out of me. What they did was they taught me how to love Jesus. And I was around some, you know, some dudes. I mean, I, I work with Pastor Miles McPherson. Uh, who's the pastor of The Rock in San Diego. I grew up, he was my mentor. I knew Miles before he was Miles. I knew when he was a high school pastor when I first started working with him. So I traveled with him. He was an ex-pro athlete, pro football player, so I would travel with him when he would speak, and sometimes we would go to these pro athlete conferences. And I would be around these hardcore, Jesus-loving athletes, the guys that I would see on TV, right? And I'm like, dude, that's him, and that's that guy, and that's that. And and you know what? They all love Jesus. And I was so drawn by their life and just being around Miles and being around the boys, you know, his, his athlete boys and a bunch of chargers that would come and I would get to hang out with them. I'm like, these dudes just love Jesus. I just want to love Jesus like they love Jesus. 
It was so like attractive to me. Loving God and, and just being free in your faith and then glorifying him on the football field and all this kind of stuff. I was like, I want that. If that's what following Jesus is about, using your gifts and talents, and if God gives you a platform to play pro sports or whatever you're going to do, they just were loving Jesus. It was incredible. It was incredible to be around that, and I was blessed to be around that as a young believer because that's what I kind of picked up. You want to be a Christian? Love Jesus. It's kind of that simple. And the do's and the don'ts kind of shook themselves out because I just wanted to be doing I just wanted to be figuring out what it was to love Jesus in everyday life. And the, the desires, he changed my desires, and the don'ts just kind of went away. Not that you're not tempted, not that they don't rear their head. But here's the thing. Let me ask you, are you around brothers and sisters in Christ who just love Jesus? Because I, 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 I was blessed with Miles and the athletes. I was blessed in a small group. Uh, my wife and I, when we first got married, we were in a small group with people who just love Jesus. Right? Around here, I share with the staff, it's not just what's taught, it's what's caught. It's what's caught. And that's what I love about this church. Like when we say meet and greet and everyone stands up and goes, bah, and it goes crazy in here. It's what's caught. Well, the same thing, parents is what happens in your home. It's what's caught. You can tell your kids all the doctrine you want, but they're really watching you. Are they catching your love for Jesus? Do they want to love Jesus because they see what Jesus is doing in you? Do they see the fruit of the Spirit in you, mom and dad, to the point they're like, I want that. I want to be like mom. I want to be like dad. If that's what loving Jesus does for mom and dad, sign me up. Right? It's what's caught, not just what's taught. And, 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 and it, sometimes it's almost so simple that it messes with us. You just got to surround yourself with brothers and sisters that just love God. Just love them. Now, they're not perfect, but they love Jesus, and they encourage you to do the same. Right? There's a, an example in Titus. If you've been with me around Christmas, we've looked at this. In Titus 2, 9 and 10, it says this. Slaves must always obey their masters and do their best to please them. Now, the word slave there is bond slave. There's two words. This one means slaves who were born into slavery. Okay? And if you don't know the culture, slaves lived a horrific life. They were, they were just property. Just property. They could be killed. They could be sold. Families could be destroyed, separated at the whim. At the whim of the master. Now, when the church was being birthed, slaves became believers. And so, it, they, they were still slaves, still living in horrific conditions. Okay, so think of how bad you think you have it at times or how bad you think your work situation is. Now, multiply that exponentially by this. Okay? Now, look what he says. They must not talk back or steal, but must show themselves to be entirely trustworthy and good. Then they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive in every way. I love this. He's like, hey, you slaves who have become followers of Jesus, right where you are in that horrific life situation, you can make Jesus attractive. Do you see the purpose? 
You see that it gives them meaning. It gives them significance. And in fact, that word attractive, I shared with you, if you've been with me, last, I think last Christmas we gave these out. That word attractive is ornament. So the word picture is you and I, by our life, are to be ornaments that make the gospel attractive, that adorn the gospel. Right? How many of you are going to put up a tree in a little bit? Right? You decorate it? What's the purpose of the decorations on the tree? Make it pretty, right? Make it pretty. Make it attractive, right? Right? Isn't the point of a decoration to make the tree attractive? Like when someone comes over, you want everyone to go, ooh, nice tree, right? Okay, that's the picture in Titus. He's saying, hey, slaves, in your horrific life situation, be ornaments for the gospel. Doxology. Isn't that crazy? Right? Right then and there. But what do most of us do? Oh, God, get me out of this. Get me another job. Oh, please remove me from this situation. Take this thorn away. If only God would make my situation better, then I'll be an ornament. Right? No, he says right where you are, as you sit here, think about whatever situation you're in, work, home, family. What would happen if you said, Father, show me how to be an ornament right here, right now. Right here, right now. I want to be an ornament. I want to make you attractive to them. It might flip. It might flip your emotions. It might flip your whole perspective this fast if you make that decision. Take your eyes off how bad the circumstance is. Put your eyes on becoming an ornament. And suddenly, because it's about him, everything changes. Everything changes. Right? See, because when you understand doxology and living as doxology, it also helps you to understand obedience. How many of you have heard from day one as a believer, you need to obey God? Okay. Here's the thing. If you don't understand doxology, you tend to think that obedience is the end. You obey just to obey. Okay. Do this. Okay. Don't do that. Okay. And so your obedience has no higher purpose, no significance. You just obey To obey. Okay. Okay. That's where Christianity is just rules, regulations, lists. Because you just obey for obedience sake. When you understand doxology, you're understanding now, I obey because ultimately it adorns the gospel. My obedience manifests itself in my life and makes the gospel attractive. That's the purpose of obedience is to bring him glory. It's not just to obey so you don't get smacked or get called into the principal's office. No, there's such a positive, beautiful motive for obeying God. His glory. His name. Every time you and I are at a crossroads and there's my way and the flesh and acting independent and their submission and trust and obedience, every time we choose that, you glorified God. Even if nobody knew. Every time you say yes to God and no to the flesh, the world, and the devil, you brought glory to God. Amen? Every time. 
And no one even has to see it because he sees it. Every time you say yes to God and no to the flesh, no to the world, no to the devil, you're bringing glory to God. You are bringing glory to God throughout the day. You're making him big. Right? So obedience has a purpose, right? But you've got to remember that obedience is rooted in love. Right under the new covenant, what does Jesus say in John 14, 15? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, people flip this and they make it sort of some finger-wagging thing. Jesus says, love me and the fruit of you loving me is that you will want to obey me. You see the fruit of it? Some people have flipped that and say, do you love me? Yes. Okay, obey me. See, a lot in the church have flipped that verse and they made it a finger-wagging verse. If you love me, prove it. If you love me, you better obey me. Anyone ever hear that in home? Don't raise your hand, right? <laughs> right? But really, love, Jesus said, if you love me, the fruit of your love for me will manifest itself in a desire to obey. Amen? Right? It's like husbands and wives, boyfriends and girlfriends, you do things because you love them. Amen? It comes out of the heart of love. That's why I want to do this for you. I want to bless you. I want you to be happy. I want to serve you. Because I what? Love you. That's the heart of obedience, right? And the crazy thing is, Jesus says this. He says in John 14, Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. You see that? Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So Jesus' teaching in the New Testament comes from who? The Father. The Father. Jesus' teaching comes directly from the Father. And he says, hey, when you obey me, there's good, re- there's good consequences in your relationship with me and my Father. Right? Much of Jesus' teaching in the New Testament is just an expansion under the New Covenant of Old Covenant law. He says, hey, you've heard it said, this is what I say. Right? It comes from the Father. And then we have his example of Jesus who says, you know what? Okay. I want to do Father's will. I want to do Father's will. In John 4.34, he says this. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and accomplish his work. My food. Kind of funny, right? Hey, man, my food. Some says my nourishment. What is that? What he's saying is my priority, my passion, my number one desire is to do my father's will. That's Jesus, right? In John 6, 38, says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. John 14, I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. I love that, right? So if we're going to be Jesus' followers, we should follow his example. What was his example? Number one passion desires to do the will of the Father. Why? So that people know that I love the Father. It's not about us. It's about doing his will so that he gets glorified because people know that I love him. So here's the crazy thing. If people were to ask you, hey man, why do you go to church? What should you say based on those verses? 
because I love God. If someone asks you as a believer, hey, why do you do this or why do you not do this? Of course, you can say, well, the Bible says. I say, well, why do you follow the Bible? What would you say? Because I love God. Not because Pastor Rich is going to be mad. I'm going to get the phone call. He's going to want to meet at the church because he heard, right? No, it's like, you know, sometimes some of you are absent and, and I notice after a while. And then I'll, I'll poke around and prob. Hey, what happened to so-and-so? Oh, they're sick. Oh, they're traveling. But then sometimes I'll call you or I'll text you. And it's weird because you get all nervous. <laughs> like, oh, no, really, we had something come up. And, you know, it, and I'm like, it's fine. I, I was just checking. <laughs> it's like I'm the spiritual popo, you know, and if you're not here for a few weeks, I'm going to call you, right, like you guys. Like, I asked my wife, hey, you know, I miss them. What happened to them? And they're like, oh, they've been sick. I knew that. I knew there were illnesses in your house, by the way. I'm just glad that you're back, right? But it's not like this heavy, oh, you've got to be at church. No, we miss you. And when you're not here, the part of the family is not here. And we just want to love God together. That's kind of how, you see how it's flipped? We just got to get back to the root of it. Love, joy, just loving God. Being here because you want to. Because you love Father and you love His church as imperfect as it is. You're just here because you love Father. It simplifies it. Right? It just puts smiles on your faces again, you know? It's not so heavy. And then I love this, right? So that was Jesus. His, his food was to do the will of the Father and finish His work. And then towards the end, He has this incredible prayer. I love this. John 17, 4. This is what I hope to say. This is Jesus talking to His Father. I glorified you on the earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. How many would love to say that at the end? Man, I glorified you. I finished the work you gave me to do, Father. Well done, good and faithful servant. Right? Well done. Well, where does that come from? It comes from a heart that on the front end it says, I want to do your will. I want to love you. I want to just walk in obedience. So how can we do that today? I want to give you, I want to give you a practical application that walks us into thanksgiving. In 1 Thessalonians 5.18, it says this, Rejoice always, it's, uh, 16 to 18, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So, how many of you have ever wondered out loud or asked someone, Hey, what's the will of God? Anyone? Well, there's three of them right there. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the what? It's the will of God. It's a a great starting point. There's much more. But if you were to focus on those three, come back in a few years and let me know. That's a ton. Because each of those are continuous. Rejoice. Have you been? Pray. Have you been? Right? This is lifestyle. Remember? This is lifestyle. This is loving Jesus stuff. It's not do's and don'ts. This is, I'm rejoicing continuously. I joy, my joy in Jesus is not dependent on circumstances. I can choose joy. Right? Pray without ceasing. What did we learn for three months? Prayer is FaceTime with Father. It's dependency. I can live in dependency. Without ceasing. I can talk to Father without ceasing. Right? It's possible. 
Those are, that's possible. It's lifestyle. It's habitual. It's choices. But we're going to focus on that third one. Give thanks in all circumstances. Right? Now, if we're going to give thanks in all circumstances, and then it says, for this is the will of God, we've got to understand a little bit more about the will of God. And we don't, you know, we could talk on the will of God for five years and still be scratching the surface. So I'm going to paint with a really broad brush here, super broad, but to give you some framework to begin to apply giving thanks in all circumstances. Okay? So what is the will of God? Well, there's a pastor named John Piper, and he really gives two, I think, really clear and simple beginning definitions for the will of God for us to begin to wrap some meat around it, and to actually live this out, okay? Number one, he says that the will of God, one aspect of it is what he calls the will of decree, okay? The will of decree, D-E-C-R-E-E. What the will of decree is, is that it is God's sovereign control over everything that happens all the time. The will of decree is God is in control of everything all the time. He is sovereign. Amen? Right? Ephesians 1.11. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Now, again, you can chew on this for a lifetime because what that, the will of decree means is that nothing in your life, everyone say nothing. nothing. Nothing in your life or my life happens by luck or accident. But what about all the bad stuff? What about, why does God allow all those begin to surface, right? Isaiah 55, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and your thought, my thoughts than your thoughts. God is omnipotent. God is infinite. We will never in our puny, finite minds understand God. You never will. There are some things that you're just not going to fully understand because you are finite. Okay? The Bible says that God works everything out to the purpose of His will. He is always in control. That's the will of decree. Okay? Then Piper says there's the will of command. The second element of the, the will of God is it involves the will of command. These are the commands. What are we to do? Right? What are we to do? These are the commands of God. Where do we find the will of command? Primarily, where do we find it? The Bible. The Word of God, right? 2 Timothy 3. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of, be, man, man of God may be complete, equipped for what? Every. So the will of command is found in God's revealed Word, His Scripture. Okay? So to wrap yourself around the will of God, you have two fundamental principles. The will of decree God is sovereign and in control of everything. Which might help some of you frame 2020 and the upcoming election. <laughs> Serious, right? God is still in control, amen? Yeah. 
Whoever gets elected is still God. Is God still on his throne? Is he still in control? Okay. That's the will of decree. You're already living that. You're going to have to process it. And, there's, and believe me, I am no way downplaying or disrespecting the emotion, the angst, all of that that is involved with what's coming in 2020 in this country. But as a believer, my hope, my peace, my strength is that God is on his throne. Okay? Will of decree. Will of command says, okay. It's always hard to hold up my iPad when I want to show the Bible. <laughs> the will of command... So to know the will of command, you, you need to know Scripture. He's not hiding it from you, right? So here's where it gets a little bit tricky. The will of God revealed, or the will of command revealed in the Word of God, right? But a lot of Christians get caught up because they tend to think that God does this with his will. Guess which hand? He's hiding his will from you. What job should I take? I don't know, pick a hand. And if you pick right, then I'll show you my will. Right? Who should I marry? I don't know. Pick. Sorry, nobody. You know what I mean? No, he doesn't do that. Right? He's not hiding his will. Now, you're like, but, but, but there are questions. Right? How do we work through these questions? Like, what... What job should I take and should I move and is this the right person? Those are legitimate questions, right? We've all had them. You might sit and be like, oh, okay, yeah, those are future tense. Here's, here's the, the, the guard. If you get too focused on trying to figure out which hand to pick, Piper calls that, and I really like it, he calls it crystal ball Christianity. Now you are consumed primarily with trying to figure out the future by reading the crystal ball. And you get tied up in knots. Right? How many of you, in trying to read the crystal ball, have asked five people and got five different answers? You're like... Right? Or, or we get frustrated in doing that and then even, even sort of, we're not even maybe aware of it, we just start asking people who we know will give us the answers. Hey, what do you think about this job? Wink, wink. Should I take it? Right? Got to be real careful about that. Right? There are questions. There is a healthy desire. We should always be seeking the Lord for everything to glorify Him. Okay? But primarily, there is the will of decree... There is the will of command. This gray area, how, well then, how do we work this out? How do we maneuver this? Okay. Here's the will of decree. Okay, Father, show me the future. You see why many of us get stuck here? And we, we like this and we want to figure and we want to debate and we want to read and we want to da-da-da-da. All the while we're trying to figure and read the crystal ball and we're ignoring the will of command. We're not doing what we already know that we're supposed to be doing. See, this is tied into getting to here. Right? Romans 12 says this, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. 
Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. There's a progression in our, in our walk, right? I trust God, the will of decree. I trust Him. I'm going to trust Him, do my best to just trust Him wholeheartedly. There's the will of command. I now am going to be doing. I'm committed to His will as I already revealed, right? Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks and alls. Forgive. All that. This is, this is where I'm consumed right here. Here's the part. As I'm doing this, as I'm being transformed here, day in and day out, it's renewing my mind. It's giving me a track record of faith and trust with God. I'm maturing in my faith so that when I come across these, I have maturity. I have a track record of growth, of faith, of obedience. Wisdom, thank you. Practical application of this knowledge. I'm here and all of these one of these might cause a great step of faith, but because I was walking by faith already, I'm not scared of that like I might be. Because I remember all the times that God came through when I stepped out in faith. Amen? See, if you're here and you've got all these issues, I've got to figure this, I've got to figure this, I'm going to encourage you today, take a slide here and ask, Father, what, what, what am I not doing right now? What spiritual growth and maturity do I need to be getting under my belt for as long as it's going to take till you're ready to show me the crystal ball. See, when you're here and you've been doing this, walking in faith and obedience, when you get here, there's clarity in Scripture, there's clarity in prayer, there's clarity in counsel. Now you're discerning. That word discerning. Right? How many of you, let me give you an example at work. How many of you at work, remember when you first started, you were fumbling and bumbling, it was awkward, and you were just trying to, it seemed like it took a long time. Now, how many of you, all these weeks and years later, how many of you at, at work, it's just second nature? You know how to, you just know how to do your job. Right? And a newbie would come in and say, dude, how do you do that so fast? And like, dude, it's just practice. Day in and day out is what I do. I live this. I eat this. I breathe this. Right? But somebody who's like, man, that's pretty cool. I could never be like you. Dude, it's just practice. It's just daily. This is what I have to do. I've learned how to run the machine. I've learned how to do this. I've learned how to do this. You've all been there where you have practiced something over and over, even a sport, an instrument, anything, where it feels like it's second nature. And then someone goes, how did you do that? Like uh, hours of practice, repetition, discipline, commitment. All of that is the same. It's very similar to when you get to this place. And sometimes people are like, how do you know that stuff, Pastor? How how do you know what to say in those situations? Um, Practice, repetition. How How did you know how to answer that person when they asked you that question? Because way back, they, someone asked me that question and I didn't have a clue. <laughs> and after they left, I had to go figure it out and search the answer. There's no difference. There's really no, it's just repetition day in and day out over here. 
the will of decree. God is in control. I trust him with my whole being. I love him. So I'm going to obey him in the will of command, what he's already revealed. And if there's times in my life where I'm searching out this other sort of unknown, mysterious direction, I'll have all of this underneath me. Amen? You see, that's how it kind of works, right? That's how it kind of works. And so this verse, I leave it still up, the First Thessalonians 5.18. Here's, here's a practical application. It says, give thanks in. Everyone say in. Well, don't jump to all, don't jump to all just yet. <laughs> okay. <laughs> let's, let's camp on in. Because the, the, the real power in this verse, the real challenge, the real wrestling is in verses 4. It doesn't say for. It's in. See, hey, what are you thankful for? What do you give thanks for? Okay, when I say that and I say for, you go right to all the good stuff. That's easy. That's the blessings of God. I'm thankful for, I'm thankful for, I'm thankful for. That's all the good stuff. It puts a smile on your face. I'm thankful for. Right? That's all the good stuff, generally. When I say, what are you thankful in? Are you thankful in your work situation? Are you thankful in your current financial situation? Are you thankful in your current health situation? Are you thankful in that relationship that's pretty painful? See, it's in all. Not for all. That's the rubber meets the road. That's staying here long enough to develop this faith and this love and this trust that says, Father, right now, as I sit here at 11, 12, I got a lot on my plate. And Father, I'm not sure I'm thankful in it right now. I think I've been asking you to get rid of it. I think I've been angry. I think I've been venting to people. I think I've just been really praying for you to take it away. But Father, if I'm honest with you, I've not been thankful. I've not been giving thanks in this. I've just wanted, it's like Paul with the thorn. I've just wanted you to take it away. And what did, Paul, what did God say to Paul? Nope. My grace is sufficient for you. In. In the thorn. So what are you going through today? That's part of your all. That you quite honestly have a real hard time giving thanks in. In it right now. But see, isn't that crazy? Because it goes right back to the will of decree. Because the basis of being even able to give thanks in is that he's on the throne. If you believe it. And that brings you here, giving thanks in it. And you grow your spiritual muscles. You grow your faith muscles. Okay? In it. In. All. All. Not just the good. So as you sit here, have you this week been giving thanks in all? In. Oh, are you serious, God? I'm supposed to give thanks in this? In this? I hate this. I just want this person to go away. 
right? I just want this to get healed. I just don't, I don't want to go through this. And you're telling me now I got to give thanks in this? How many in the flesh think that's a little cray cray? I'm putting both hands up. Okay. It is in the flesh. That's why when you and I choose to give thanks in it, who gets the glory? Because it's not you. The only way you and I can give thanks in this miserable, wretched, horrible, angry, confusing, just take it away situation is the power of God. And when you and I get to the place of continuously giving thanks in it, who's watching? And the world. And that makes the gospel attractive. Goes right back. Right? Ruth Bell Graham says, we can't always give thanks for everything, but can we can always give thanks in everything. We're not telling you to be weird and wacky and bury your head in the sand and say, hey, thank you. thanks for me losing my job. No. But I can say, God, I give thanks in the losing of my job because you are still God. Ah. But most of us are so circumstance-driven that we don't live in the inn. We don't live in the inn. Here's a story about uh, Ruth Belgram. When her children were rebelling against the Lord, Ruth Bell Graham found herself occasionally torn apart by worry. One night while abroad, she awoke suddenly in the middle of the night worrying about her son. A current of worry surged through her like an electric shock. She lay in bed and tried to pray, but she suffered from galloping anxiety, one fear piling upon another. She looked at the clock and it was around three o'clock. She was exhausted yet she knew she would be unable to go back to sleep. Suddenly the Lord seemed to say to her, quit studying the problems and start studying the promises. She turned on the light, got out her Bible, and the first verses that came to her were these, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. As she read those words, she suddenly realized that the missing ingredient in her prayers had been thanksgiving. In everything, By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. She put down her Bible and spent time worshiping God for who and what he is. She later wrote, quote, I began to thank God for giving me this one I love so dearly in the first place. I even thanked him for the difficult spots which had taught me so much. And you know what happened? It was as if someone turned on the light in my mind and heart. And the little fears and worries that had been nibbling away in the darkness like mice and cockroaches hurriedly scuttled for cover. That was when I learned that worship and worry cannot live in the same heart. They are mutually exclusive. So have you been focusing on the problems or the promises? See, if you focus on the promise, you can give thanks in. Because a promise never changes. Right? John MacArthur says this, to be thankful always is to recognize God's control of our lives in every detail as he seeks to conform us to the image of his son. Nothing must grieve the Holy Spirit so much as the believer who does not give thanks. And here's a, here's a promise many of you cling to. It's been instrumental in my walk. Romans 8.28. Here's a promise. 
We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Amen. That's a promise. That promise enables me to give thanks in. I choose to focus on this promise and not the problem. Because I don't know how the problem is going to play out. I don't know if the problem is ever going to go away. But I knew, no, according to this promise, God's going to work it for my good. Why? Because he's on the throne. And I'm his child. And he loves me. And God is good. And all the time. Even when there's problems. You see? It's, it's, it's such a powerful, powerful moment if, if you and I, even now, just maybe today, and into maybe just November, so you're gonna hear, you're gonna see Thanksgiving everywhere. So here's the thing: wherever you go, the stores, Thanksgiving. Anytime you see anything related to Thanksgiving, stop and give thanks in whatever it is. Let it, let this month be a reminder. Amen. It's all around us. Wherever you go, if you see anything Thanksgiving related, just stop and say, Father, have I been giving thanks in all my circumstances? And say, Father, right now I. I see a turkey. Father, I just want to give you thanks in my finances right now. Just stop and give thanks right then and there. Find something because it's all. Give thanks like, literally wherever you're at. Just stop. Father, I'm going to give thanks in this um, strained relationship. I'm going to give you thanks in it right now. Father, um, I'm going to give you thanks in this situation, I'm being treated unfairly. I, I'm, I'm being accused. I'm, I'm going to give you thanks in it. By faith, you say I'm First Thessalonians 5.18, I'm going to give you thanks in this. And some of you might have to do this in the store. <laughs> People at Costco on their way to chicken are like, <laughs> just turn to say, I'm giving thanks, okay? I'm, I'm giving thanks. <laughs> like literally, to give thanks in it. How many of you feel the wind go like, oh, like, oh, wait, no. I don't know if I could do that because it disarms me from all my anger and my worry and my anxiety. When I give thanks in, I'm releasing all of that to Him. And it empties me. And I have to do this because I realize, man, I have been filled with anger and confusion and angst and just get rid of it and worry and fear and I say father I give thanks in it because you're going to work this all out for my good and I just realize how exhausted I am now because of this load I've been carrying because I'm focused on the problems and not the promise right and so we're going to do something this morning because I feel like you know that verse is so broad, in all. In all. So we're going to give you an opportunity to go there. In the allness. Because in brings us to the pain and the trials and the tribulation. For is all the good stuff. In is all the stuff we don't like to think about, deal with, put off, procrastinate, bury, all that stuff. So we're going to sit. And I'm going to invite you to give thanks in. And if you need to ask Father's forgiveness because you've been focused on the problems and not His promises, 
Have you been even angry at Him? Where are you? Have you forgotten that He's on the throne? Maybe you just need to ask His forgiveness. It's okay. He It's fine. But I wanted to give you a chance to give thanks in all your circumstances this morning. Even if you have a hard time formulating that. That's crazy for some, I know, because it is so hurtful and it's so gone on for so long and you just don't understand. And right now, the last thing you can even think about is the word thanks next to this thing. I get that. But it's a step of faith. And some of you might just say, Father, in the flesh, I cannot do this. In the flesh, I'm rearing up and I do not want to give thanks in this. I'm, Father, you know my flesh right now. I'm rebelling and I'm resistant because I'm hurt and I'm angry and I want justice, and it's just not right. I get all that. But tell him. Tell him. And then yield and say, Father, in the power of the Holy Spirit, please enable me to give thanks. Right now. Right here. So, Father, we come to you. This is faith. This is transformation. This is application. Jesus says that his passion was to do the will of the Father. Well, this is your will, to give thanks in all circumstances. So, Father, we just want to pause. Make the conscious decision that we can focus on the promises and not the problem. We may have a lot to be thankful for, but Father, it's about in right now. So we pause and we give thanks in our circumstances. Father, we thank you for your promises. We thank you that really it's even about an eternal perspective. Our hope is in eternity, who we are in Christ, who we are in Jesus. We're going through things but sometimes Lord we step out and we look at the big big picture of who we are in Jesus we are your children and because of that we always have hope 